Amelia, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's exciting to be here. Interestingly, we actually met for the first time only last week in France. And Amelia was telling me this inspiring story about traveling around New Zealand and some Asian countries by bike. That was the moment when something clicked in my head and I decided I really want to do a podcast with you. And uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about it today. Sure. But first of all, isn't this your first time in Berlin? Yes. Do you like it so far? Yeah, I really like it. I think um, the fact that the weather is amazing probably helps. But um, yeah, I had no idea what to expect and have really enjoyed it so far. It's a great city. It's basically like one and a half days you just you spend in Berlin, right? Yeah, mostly just um, walking around. Um, yeah, spending some time in the parks and monuments and everything. How do you can compare it to, to London? Um, oh, man. Uh, I think... So I always think of London as having really good parks and outdoor spaces. And so um, other cities, you know, sometimes I try and like compare that. And I've actually been super impressed with Berlin has loads of like parks and green spaces. Yeah, and it definitely has a lot of parks. Yeah. So. This is one of the best things. And also yeah. lakes, you, you, something that you yeah. might not experience and this year, the, unfortunately. the river and like the river through the middle and yeah, like yeah. all of the little offshoot rivers are actually kind of blue or maybe a bit green rather than in London, the river is just brown all the time. Um, so that part's really nice like oh actually something really interesting to know yeah well maybe it's a little bit greener than, uh, <laughs> than maybe maybe i wouldn't want to swim in it but um yeah don't, don't, don't do it definitely not. It's, <laughs> it's way too bad <laughs> but yeah it's uh yeah super nice and like i love that there are walkways kind of everywhere it feels like a super walkable city it's really enjoyable um uh how long are you living in uh in london um it depends on how you count living there but uh around 15 years now 15 years yeah and you moved from the u.s yeah i um well i moved from the u.s but also spent some time in hong kong in between so uh sort of indirectly moved there Uh, where exactly in in the u.s you you live um i'm originally from seattle so the northwest corner um up near the canadian border this sounds like a lot of mountains right Yeah, there are, we've got two mountain ranges. So you've got the Olympics on one side and the Cascades on the other. So it's kind of between two mountain ranges and then also between a lake and um, the Puget Sound, which is sort of part of the Pacific Ocean, like a little inlet of it. So um, yeah, loads of outdoor space and outdoor activities. Um, Yeah, a lot of like hiking, kayaking, climbing, that kind of thing. So so is it, is it, touristic place it's sort of the only big city in that entire corner of the u.s and it's not even that big so i think you know you get tourists who go to new york la chicago and kind of the south and i feel like it's kind of the only thing north of that okay actually someone from portland would probably be annoyed with me for saying this but yeah it's probably like (laughs) 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 a little bit of a rivalry there but aside from that it's kind of the only city you really have in that area so i think i wouldn't call it hugely touristy but maybe more than than other parts of the U.S. And I think maybe more for outdoor kind of tourism. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I'm thinking about. It's more about outdoor. So people come here, uh, there at this place to, I guess, hiking and kayaking, as you mentioned, and also skiing, no? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some local skiing. I think serious skiers probably go more north into Canada. But yeah, there are a couple of local areas. And then there's some mountaineering and things like that that people can do. So, so I would expect you have some skiing experience. Uh, yeah I've, I've got a bit <laughs> um i haven't skied in a long time but yeah as a child i used to ski a lot so you definitely know how to how to ski for the, for the next gathering let's hope so <laughs> we will find out uh, you don't you didn't forget about it <laughs> no i'm hoping it's like riding a bicycle you just don't forget but yeah, i, I guess we'll test so. yeah because i had like for me personally i had only one skiing experience in my life which was like a couple of gatherings ago <laughs> also when we spend time in in a wintry environment in uh in austria but this was the this was it and i learned quite fast how to ski but also like i, I have no idea how if i if i still remember how to do this <laughs> or not and i also felt like you you need to practice your like muscles because like it's like specific yeah. kind of muscles of, yeah. because i had so bad knee pain after that oh no <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like even if you do a lot of sports anytime you take a time off of a particular sport then when you come back to it it just hurts so much the next day you're like but i but i've been doing other activities i've been doing so much stuff but yeah, like with skiing, if you haven't been skiing specifically, yeah, it's just gone. <laughs> uh, what was your um, first job? Did you start working in the US or somewhere else? Um, 
Not re. Well, I had a couple of little summer jobs in the U.S. So at my local climbing gym, I helped teach kids in the summer camps how to climb and how to belay, which was slightly terrifying. But my first real job was after university in London. Um, I worked as a private tutor for about a year and a half because I was. Um, I graduated with a degree that at the time there just weren't really any jobs in it, um, sort of unexpectedly. So had to take some time to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, so spent a year and a half, uh, tutoring while I was teaching myself how to write code and do data stuff. Um, and then got an actual real grown up job after that, uh, working at Spotify. Interesting. So again, step back. What was your, uh, what did you study? I studied geology, um, which is a cool way of saying I studied rocks, which is a cool way of saying that I kind of wanted to do a, some kind of a sciences or maybe a physics degree, but I also wanted to go outside sometimes. So this was the best compromise because I saw that the geology modules all had um, like a fieldwork component to them. So uh, to be fair, a lot of that was up in Scotland in hiking through a bog. But um, I also got to go to Australia for a summer um, to do some geological mapping. And then for my master's, I got to go to Iceland and ostensibly study earthquakes on a volcano but more realistically just uh toast marshmallows on a volcano and watch the northern lights so yeah that was basically my degree was combining hiking with physics this is so really interesting and how did you come from this degree to to analytics good question um so when i graduated from when i graduated with a degree in geology it was right when oil had basically crashed so um The standard thing to do with a geology degree is go work for an oil company, <laughs> which is kind of ironic because a lot of people who get into geology do it because they like the yeah, outdoors and being yeah, outside yeah, 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 and the yeah. environment. <laughs> and then you think, what do I do with this? And the answer yeah, exactly. is go work for big oil. So I think probably it was kind of fortunate that that wasn't an option at the time because yeah. there just were no jobs um, at any of the at any of the oil companies. They usually have graduate programs and they just closed them all down. And so most of my graduating year went on to do a PhD to sort of avoid the real world for a little while longer. <laughs> <laughs> and I just couldn't face more time in academia. So I thought, okay, cool. I'll um, do something else, I guess. And yeah, I, um, like I said, I took a year to kind of teach myself basically how to write code thinking maybe I would go into engineering because I thought, oh, okay, you know, I, I have a sciences degree. I like sort of science and analytic type things like problem solving, that kind of area um and then partway through that i ended up really enjoying the kind of data side of things because yeah. that felt it felt kind of familiar from a sciences degree um mm -hmm. to go from sciences which is basically just taking large data sets and solving problems with it to just applying that to sort of other other areas and doing that in a more technical way and so um yeah i kind of spent some time basically trying to teach myself as much as i could and then just applying for jobs and seeing if anyone would would take me on for that and this um, is so really interesting so you basically taught yourself to uh, yeah i think i mean i think i think a lot of it i probably was sort of pulling on things that i had learned from university or learned in other ways in terms of thinking things through from kind of a scientific perspective but yeah most of the technical side was self-taught So how long have you been uh, working in analytics? Um, it'll be about six years now, I think. All right. Yeah. And uh, what, when was this moment when you, as far as I understood, you, you decided to quit the job, your previous job? Yeah, yeah. So I quit my previous job at the end of last year, so in December. Um, and what then, happened? Um, I don't think anything happened specifically. I actually, I, I really enjoyed it there pretty much right up until I left, but I had been there for about four years, which in tech is a really long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously people stay in places longer, but it felt like I had, I had kind of reached a point in the learning curve where I wasn't necessarily learning new things as much anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also I was there all through COVID. And so I just kind of wanted a change. Yeah. Just, it just felt like the right time to just do something new and like, you know, try some try a slightly new role learn some new skills and um also i had been looking forward to taking kind of a long time off in between so it all kind of combined into um the timing felt right and you left your job completely this is actually very interesting and i would like to talk more about it sure so i imagine you are a successful woman working in analytics and uh, at some point something changes You decide, I want to quit and I want to cycle in the other side of the planet. 
<laughs> crazy right how did you get this idea what was going on in your head at this moment <laughs> yeah it's a good question i think I've I've definitely heard stories of people who just sort of decided one day, you know what, this is enough, like, I'm just going to go travel and go do something. Um, I think for me, it was a bit more planned out, um, probably for, I'd say for maybe a year or maybe even more than a year, I had sort of always had this idea in the back of my mind that at some point I wanted to take some time between jobs that I, I kind of thought, okay, maybe next time I change jobs or maybe the time after that I want to take off a couple of months or maybe a year, like take some time off, go travel. Um, I never did a gap year or anything like before or during university, but I've always really enjoyed traveling and thought, you know, when you're younger, you have time, but no money. And when you're older, you have money, but no time. And so exactly. I thought maybe I should take some time when I have to try and find a time when I have both. Yes. Um, and yeah, like go do something for a while and, and properly take some time off. And so I'd had that idea in the back of my mind for quite a while. So it wasn't sort of a new concept. And then, yeah, I think kind of during COVID, I started thinking, okay, um, you know, this company is really great and I really enjoy it here, but I'm, I'm kind of ready to move on and do something else. And so then I, for a few months, I was sort of thinking, you know, looking at my situation, can I, can I afford to take some time off? Is this the right time to do it? During COVID, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to quit during COVID because, everything was closed and you couldn't yeah. really travel. So then I, I started thinking maybe once everything starts to reopen, once travel is easier, then maybe that'll be a good time to yeah, take yeah, some time off. Yeah. So I think I was, I think sort of subconsciously planning it for a really long time. And mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. that way, as I got closer to the end of the year, because I knew that I wanted one of the places I wanted to go was New Zealand. Um, and so I wanted to do that during their summer, during UK winter. And so as we kind of got closer to oh, that time. Okay, so it was connected to, to, to their summer. Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of options in mind for travel and that was one of them. And as we got closer to the, the winter, I was thinking, yeah, this feels like the right time and this feels like the right kind of set of places that I want to go. Um, and, you know, I have my, I guess, sort of life and finances in order and I feel comfortable that, you know, now I've been working in this field for six years. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I... I'm confident that I'll be able to find another job when I need to, when I come back, that I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to feel stressed while I'm away yeah, traveling. Makes sense. Makes sense. Did you save some money? Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I definitely had, had some kind of money set aside and I had sort of a number in my head of, okay, when I get to this, I can, yeah. I can start thinking yeah. about taking time off and, and maybe, you know, traveling or, or yeah, not working for a bit. And when you say traveling, you mean, uh, traveling by bike yes all the time yeah <laughs> how did it come like you, you could you could just go go sitting on the beach like all the time and enjoying <laughs> enjoying summer in new zealand but you decided to ride through new zealand and then from a bunch of other countries yeah like, why what happened <laughs> <laughs> um yeah explain the insanity i guess um I mean, I've always liked traveling, so that part was easy. Like, I was really fortunate when I was younger. I got to travel a lot with my family and then um, started traveling on my own, especially when I moved to Hong Kong. So that that part of it was always kind of, I don't think that was ever a question. I was always going to then go travel and, and do something around that. Um, I have, you know, a massive long list of places I want to go. So it was just a matter of narrowing that down to what was feasible. The cycling part... Um, I don't know if I would say I've always cycled. I mean, I've always cycled some like for commuting and kind of to get around and things like that. And then sometimes while traveling, I would, you know, go on day trips cycling. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I did my first cycle tour a few years ago around Iceland because um, I, I had spent a lot more time cycling during COVID, I think, like a lot of people, because it was the only thing you could do. Yeah, like, exactly. You could, <laughs> there is nothing else you can do. So You could yeah. run, you could bake sourdough bread, or you could cycle. Like those. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch Netflix. <laughs> those were, yeah, exactly, or watch Netflix. Those were your kind of only choices for yeah, how to pass the yeah. time. So I ended up doing a lot more cycling, and it was the only way to well kind done. of... Well done. Really good choice. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was the only way to get out of London. And I remember at one point... Um, cycling from London to Dover, which is where a lot of the ferries to France go and thinking, oh, I, I could just like get on a ferry and just go to France and like yeah. keep cycling. Like that would be really cool. And so I didn't really know that cycle touring was a real thing at that point. And obviously it was, but I just hadn't really encountered it. And so I started thinking where else I could go or like what kind of cycle trips I could do. And I ended up thinking about Iceland and I had spent some time in Iceland for um, my degree. So I thought, oh, it'd be really fun. There's one road that goes around Iceland. Like that would be really fun to like cycle around that. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try that when Iceland reopens and see mm -hmm. if I see if I like this idea of 
you know, cycle touring and traveling by bicycle. Yeah. Um, so I did that, absolutely loved it and immediately started thinking, okay, cool. Now I want to like, now I don't want to do anything else. I just want to do more of this. Like where exactly. else can I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are other, you know, islands that I can cycle around in a circle or like yeah. what other countries can I go to? So then, yeah, it was kind of a combination of those that I, I knew I wanted to take a long time off and go travel. And I thought I definitely want to spend more time cycle traveling. And that's the kind of thing that works really well when you have a, a long stretch of time, because obviously you're traveling more slowly. So yeah, it, it seemed like in my mind, it seemed like the logical choice and just the obvious thing to do. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, then you started getting ready for this, like preparation part. What What did you do? Yeah, I did almost no training. Um, <laughs> before, go yeah, before going to Iceland for the first time I went touring, I spent like weeks beforehand, like cycling the, the highest hill I could find near my house oh, and like cool. training because I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what it would be like. And I thought, oh, maybe this is going to be really difficult and I want to make sure I'm ready. And before I went to New Zealand... <laughs> I did nothing. <laughs> I, but yeah, I, I think more of the preparation was kind of in terms of, I guess, the mental side, like quitting my job and making sure that I was kind of happy yeah. with that and, and all set up. And then I think basically just making sure I had, you know, two pairs of trousers and two t-shirts that I could take with me and um, a vague idea of where I wanted to go, getting flights and then setting off. Um, I, yeah, in some ways, maybe I could have prepared more, but also in some ways, I, I think even by that point, I've never been one to travel with a lot of stuff. So I was like, cool, I'll just, you know, put a couple of things in my panniers and figure it out when I get there and, yeah. and go. Um, and what about bike? Did you do need any, did you need any special professional bike or something like that? I did actually get a new bike. Um, so previously I had been using, I think like a 20 year old entry-level aluminium hardtail mountain bike yeah. that I had had since I was a child. Um, and that was fine initially. But then when I was thinking about cycling for several months, I thought, okay, I, it might be time to get a proper touring bike. So um, I went to a local bike builder um, out in Oxford and got it who does kind of specializes in touring bikes because I thought, mm -hmm. you know, okay, if I'm going to do it, I may as well do it properly in this way. Hopefully it's the only one I ever have to buy and then I can just have that forever. Um, okay, yeah. Makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I did get a new bike before I set off and I was very, very happy with that decision. I absolutely love it. It's amazing to have a bike that actually fits. Um, I found out. So yeah, that was great. So you started in New Zealand. Yes. How was it? Amazing. Um, yeah, absolutely incredible. I mostly spent time on the South Island. It was... New Zealand on a map looks really small and then you get there and you discover that it's actually huge and that the distances between towns and cities is enormous and just the countryside is super remote, really rugged, like loads of hills and high passes. Yeah. Um, so the, the cycling itself was um, kind of a good level of challenging, I think. That was really nice. It was a, it, I think it was a good place to start because then it basically made sure that my fitness was like good by the end of it so that then the rest of the trip felt really easy. Um, but yeah, it was, it was absolutely incredible. Like the scenery is, I know everyone talks about the scenery in New Zealand. But yeah, it's, this is the best probably place to be. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And it's, again, I mean, New Zealand's quite large for a, a pair of islands, but it's also, you know, in the space of a day, you just see so much different, so many different landscapes, you know, you can go up one side of a pass and it's kind of just um, like scrub and like brown dry brush. And then you cross the pass and you're in this like lush green field with like limestone cliffs. And it's, yeah, it's absolutely stunning. Um, I got pretty lucky with the weather aside from the fact that the North Island flooded while I was there. So I mostly got stuck on the South Island. <laughs> um, I had been planning on cycling back up to Auckland uh, via the east coast of the North Island. And then by the time I got to the northern part of the South Island, like the Auckland airport was flooded. The boats were canceled. This like, is crazy. Wow. Everything was chaos. So I just sort of cycled back to Christchurch via a different route. But, so you um, changed your plans? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have... I had sort of a vague plan, um, which was mostly go vaguely around the South Island kind of in a circle and then see what happens. But yeah, I think that was sort of as far as I got and the rest I kind of planned day to day, just depending on yeah. how I felt and where I wanted to go and what the weather was like. So you didn't make any concrete plans, any concrete routes, you just like followed uh, 
some idea or like some direction day to day? Yeah. Yeah. I looked up a couple of cycling routes beforehand um, and I had kind of looked at the roads and mapped out a couple of options thinking, mm-hmm. you know, okay, maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll do this. And there were a few points where it was, it was kind of, um, oh, okay, this is the obvious route from here to here. But then at that point there's, you know, I'll make this decision when I get there as to whether I do option A or option yeah. B. Um, and then, yeah, pretty much took it day by day after that. And I think, I had done enough cycle touring before that to know that you can have as much of a plan as you want when you set out and exactly, it'll always yes, change yes, anyway. Yes. Um, so, so I tried there is to, no way to like, there is no reason to plan it in detail if you are not racing or something like that. You just, yeah, exactly. If you want to enjoy it, you just continue cycling. Yeah. If you want to stop, you just stop and enjoy the moment, enjoy the day. Yeah. And to, that's, that's the nice thing about, um, I was, on my own so I was traveling solo so that also makes it quite easy to just sort of adjust your plans on the fly and I had you know a tent and a sleeping bag with me so it was easy to to find somewhere to sleep every night like yeah you kind of don't need as much of a plan I think um and yeah I just sort of all I knew was okay I have a flight out of Auckland on this day actually that ended up getting changed as well because of the floods so even that was flexible but yeah you know all I had was okay I want to be back up in Auckland by this time but aside from that um yeah, as long as I'm back there in time, I can just do whatever I want and kind of go wherever I feel like. How was it uh, to travel alone by bike in a wild, remote and wild country? Um, It was... It's funny. Everyone told me before I left that the traffic in New Zealand is terrible. Everyone's like, the roads are going to be terrible. Don't cycle on the roads. They're horrible. It's like the worst place ever. And I was thinking like, wow, like, why? (laughs) (laughs) What's what's what is with New Zealand? Like, why does everyone say this? And then I got there and it was absolutely fine. And I don't know if that's because my baseline is commuting in central London or <laughs> exactly, <laughs> or maybe they were all just lying to me and trying to scare me. Like, I have no idea, but it was, um, yeah, I found, you know, the roads were mostly pretty quiet. And then there were a couple of times when I went um, either on sort of gravel paths or like less traveled roads. And that was really nice. And I think, yeah, the remoteness is, I, I just really enjoy it because I think it gives you a better appreciation of just the landscape, that there's no distractions, yeah. that you can just have... Um, you know, there were, there were some days where I, there was nowhere, there was nothing that was built up on the road from where I started to where I finished. And so mm-hmm, you would go mm-hmm. from, you know, maybe you'd start off in a town and you might finish in, in like mm-hmm. an, a, a mostly abandoned, like ski lodge somewhere up in the mountains, but in between there's no one. And maybe you see like one car the entire time. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was a great way to just experience the landscape and to have kind of focus on the cycling and on just I don't know, thinking and kind of just enjoying the experience itself. And that was, it was really nice. It was a good way to start, I think, especially having come from, you know, working and um, just all the busy parts of city life to just having, yeah, basically two months to kind of just to myself, just to think. (laughs) So that was really nice. Can you say it was scary? I didn't find it scary. Um, New Zealand, especially, I found quite accessible. Um, I mean, the biggest animals there are the possums. So (laughs) (laughs) it's not like Australia. There's nothing particularly dangerous. Um, Everyone I met was lovely. I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think there were any particularly negative experiences and maybe one or two, but like nothing, nothing remarkable. Um, Obviously New Zealand is mostly English speaking. So there's not even like a language barrier. Um, And I think even the remoteness you know you're sort of heading either you're heading along a coast or along like mountains so it's it's hard to get lost um and yeah even again like even finding somewhere to sleep at night you know if worse comes to worse I have my tent with me like I mostly tried to stay in campsites just because um I know there are places where wild camping's not it's kind of frowned upon and so I was mm-hmm. trying to to stay in the campsites but even then like if there's no campsite nearby you just find somewhere to pitch a tent so yeah, I don't. I don't think there was anything that really scared me about it. What about insects or whatever? <laughs> okay, so I do have a mosquito story. Um, so New Zealand has mosquitoes and sandflies, which seems unfair. It seems like they should just have one set of biting insects. Two seems excessive, but okay. Um, and people had warned me about the sandflies. Uh, quite correctly, they were pretty awful. Um, but there was one day where I had had, I'd had a, probably a couple of mosquitoes in my tent that I hadn't noticed. And then the next day I was cycling along um, a state highway that was, 
This is relevant. The speed limit was about 100 kilometers an hour, I think. And there weren't many cars, but I remember at one point this one car passes me at 100 kilometers an hour. So, you know, they're probably not like getting a great view of anything. Yes. You know, you go by pretty quickly. And yet the car pulled over ahead of me and signaled for me to pull over. And I cycled up alongside them and it was this family. And the woman leans out the car window and hands me a thing of uh, mosquito repellent, like 100% DEET, like oh, really wow, strong this stuff. this is so cool. And she said, you know, I'm really sorry I don't have any afterbite or anything for the bites that you already have, but hopefully this will keep it from getting worse. This is so sweet. It was so sweet, but it was also just a sign of how miserable I must have looked that even at 100 kilometers an hour, she noticed wow. how... Wow, <laughs> I mean, this story is fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she saw how covered I was in mosquito bites and felt sorry for me. So um, I really appreciated that. If you're listening, thank you. But also it was, I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, how pathetic must I look that I, that someone driving by at a normal speed still like notices yeah, how many. But I mean, like, this is so interesting. Every time when you want to travel in a far away foreign country, you're like, oh, maybe it's scary. Like, what about people? What if I get caught or something like that? But yeah. Then you realize people are mostly, most of the people all the time, no matter what country, no matter what place, are so nice and good. And they always are welcoming. And they always like, when you they see a person who is traveling for a long time, they are always willing to help you. Yeah. This is so great. This is so amazing to yeah. understand how great people everywhere in the world are actually yeah i had i had people who would again driving along would offer me water food like would check that i had somewhere to stay um yeah i mean in new zealand and also in in korea and taiwan when i was there like yeah i think people often because i travel alone not just by bike but i've often traveled alone and i think people often think that that sounds I guess they think it sounds scary or they'll warn me like, oh, aren't you afraid? Or, you know, what if something bad happens? Or, you know, as like a woman traveling alone, that must be terrifying. Yeah. And yeah, honestly, like the vast majority of experiences I have with people while I'm traveling are are positive or, you know, at worst neutral. And like, okay, occasionally you have some bad experiences, but like that can happen anywhere. And absolutely. Yeah, I think, yeah, traveling, especially solo by bike, I think people, you know, they find you very approachable. Like there's, there's nothing intimidating about like a random person on a bicycle. And so, um, yeah, I just had so many people who would, you know, stop or pause or, or roll down their windows just to make sure I was okay and have a chat sometimes. Um, or, you know, you pull into a service station or something and people are like, do you, do you need anything? Is your bike okay? Like, where are you from? What are you doing? And then they hear what you're doing. They're like this, like, that's insane. Do you, you know, at one place where I stopped, I was just kind of sat on a wall having lunch and a family came by and they were talking to me. They're like, where are you going? Oh, we know people in the South Island. Like, take our phone number if anything happens. Give us a call. This like, is amazing. Yeah. Great people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fantastic. people everywhere. Just amazing. And I think, yeah. 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 When was the moment when you decided, okay, enough, enough of New Zealand, but I want to continue traveling and <laughs> you, you jumped, where did you jump to Taiwan? Uh, South Korea was next. Okay. Um, that was part of the plan initially. So the only one that wasn't in, planned from the start was Taiwan. And I kind of tacked that on a little bit later, um, just because I, I wanted to travel for longer and felt like, you know what, actually, I, I'd really like to go to Taiwan. But Korea was planned. So um, yeah, the next up was South Korea. And I started off in Seoul. South Korea has absolutely incredible bicycle infrastructure. So they've got cycle paths pretty much across the entire country. If you don't want to be on roads, you can just avoid roads pretty much the entire time. Um, so I started in Seoul and kind of went along the, um, there's a Seoul to Busan route. So from the northwest to the southeast. Um, and I did most of that and then kind of took a left down to Yosu, which is a little port town um, along the southern coast. Took a ferry over to Jeju Island, um, which is kind of a, a local tourist destination, basically. Um, and my parents actually joined me for four days cycling oh, around Jeju this Island. Oh, is really cool, actually. Yeah. I know about that. Yeah, so they, um, yeah, they had never done, like, cycle touring before, but yeah. had said, you know, oh, if you're going to be traveling for so long, you know, we'd love to come and join you for a bit. Like, maybe, like, we could meet you somewhere. And I said, you know, what if we go cycling together for a bit? Like, would you enjoy that? And I think... Um, yeah, it was, it was great like to, for them to kind of, I think they enjoyed it. Um, they've done a bit of cycling since. So it was just, it was nice to be able to share with them, you know, this is what I'm doing and it's not as insane as it sounds. And like, yeah, this is why it's yeah, fun. Did they like it? Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, I think they really enjoyed it actually. And we got to, you know, it was fun to, I don't speak any Korean. So I think that was, that was the biggest challenge there was, I just didn't really have real conversations with people. So it was kind of nice to just be able to, to talk, um, 
and also to go into restaurants because going into restaurants alone is just not a thing in Korea. It's just not done. And so being oh, this able is to really do interesting. That. Actually, you told me about this this tradition in Korea that people don't never eat alone. Yeah, that seemed to be the case. I mean, obviously, I'm not an expert on Korean culture, but um, aside from sort of convenience stores or like markets or something like that, where it's more like you can sit down at a counter or something, it seems like in restaurants, people just don't eat alone. So actually, there was one little town where I went into one of the restaurants there because um, it, lo- it, it looked like basically this entire town was in this one place. I mean, it was yeah. a tiny, tiny town. So I thought, okay, sure, I'll try it. Like, I don't mind eating alone. I'm quite used to that. That's fine. Um, and I walked in and they were just so baffled, like the the person who was kind of, I guess the owner or the, the hostess or someone was was just so confused as to what I was doing. It was like trying to communicate to me like one person, like what? Like, what are you doing? And uh, <laughs> eventually this other table with, I think, two families just sort of like signaled me to just join them. <laughs> so I ended up just like having dinner with these two random Korean families. <laughs> Which was really great, but yeah, you know, like yeah. just totally bizarre. And well, um, you also looked bizarre about it, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe they just took pity <laughs> yeah, on me. Yeah, just go, just come join yeah, us. Yeah, like what are you doing, and why money. are you alone? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, having having my family there for a couple of days was really fun. Um, and then yeah, went after that, kind of went um, to the southwest, um, and then across back over to Busan, and then mostly up the east coast. Um, with a couple of detours along the way, and then back over to Seoul. Okay, sounds really great. So how many days did you spend in uh, in Korea? Um, about six weeks, I think, in total. Six weeks, sounds yeah. like a great vacation. <laughs> six yeah. weeks. Yeah, it was amazing. And did you cycle every day, or did you have any, like, fresh days? Um, I cycled most days. I had a couple of days off in some of the towns, so I took um, a few days off in Seoul, a few days off in Busan, um, a few days off in Gyeongju, which is the old Silla capital, um, which is a super interesting city. And then also a bit of time up in the north in the Siraksan National Park to do some hiking because that was it was just a really beautiful area. So um, I think in New Zealand, I had to plan like rest day, like I had to take rest days when I was tired from cycling. And then in Korea, it was more the cycling was a lot easier i think and so it was more about you know where is an interesting place to spend a couple of days or you know i'd, I'd end yeah. up somewhere and think oh i really want to spend more time like exploring right. here um and so spending more time that way yeah so. and then taiwan yeah then taiwan um so yeah taiwan i went in and out of taipei and then I think like in a grand scale, basically circumnavigated the island. So just went around in a circle. In reality, it was a very squiggly circle because I kept going like detouring inland to, uh, you know, towns, tea farms, things like that. So did a very, very zigzag roundabout path. But um, they also have very nice cycling infrastructure, maybe not quite on the level of Korea, but still there's very much a cycling culture there. And there okay. were a lot of, yeah, ran into a lot of local so people cycling. So it sounds cycling. like New Zealand was the worst from cycling point of view, you know? I wouldn't say worst. I would say most challenging. most challenging. Yeah. I think New Zealand was more about the cycling. Like it was very much focused on cycling and not so much maybe on, I mean, obviously New Zealand is culturally very interesting and there's stuff to see, but I think I was, for me, it was more about like the landscapes and the cycling and the physical challenge. And then Korea and Taiwan felt more like, um, you know, traveling by bicycle, I guess. Like the bicycle yeah. was almost secondary okay. to just, um, yeah, experiencing the culture and meeting people and okay. also the beautiful scenery. Okay. What what was your best memory from Taiwan? That's so difficult. Um I think possibly one of the tea farms that I went to, so on the kind of southwest, I guess. Um up in the mountains a little bit. So a little bit inland, there's uh some very high mountains. Um Alishan is probably the most well known. And that's where they grow a particular variety of tea, like Taiwanese high mountain tea. So I wanted to visit some tea farms while I was there just because, you know, I'm not a coffee or a wine person, but I imagine that this is what like a coffee tour, like a wine tasting would be like to someone who enjoys those. And for me, for me, it's tea. So you like tea? Oh, of course. Yeah, I love tea. (laughs) so yeah, I, I uh, kind of asked around locally, like where where I could go and where has good tea or where is interesting and um, found a little village nearby and went there. And there were a lot of like small kind of family owned um, tea farms where they, you know, they grow the tea and they still pick it by hand. So there were people like picking tea. Um, yeah. 
and like drawing it in the sun and then kind of got to sit down with um uh one of the women who kind of owns the the tea field and just like talk with her about how the tea is made and like tasting different teas and stuff and that was that was just so much fun and i think um uh i mean one of the nice things about taiwan especially coming from korea is i don't speak any korean so it was like six weeks of just not really being able to talk to people which is you know still fun and you can still have good experiences but um my mandarin is good enough that i could actually like have conversations in taiwan and so getting to just like interact with with like people who you know spend their lives like growing tea and producing this absolutely amazing quality tea and just learning all about that um and i think they probably don't you know she was saying they don't get many foreign visitors there because it's just yeah. this you know totally out of the way town there's like no no english really spoken and it's kind of yeah, not yeah, yeah, super yeah. well known so it was just yeah it was a super fun experience like the kind of thing i probably wouldn't have been able to do if i wasn't cycling because how would you even get there um so yeah that was probably a highlight but honestly all of taiwan was a highlight i like absolutely loved it yeah sounds really cool so a couple of organizational moments first sure. of all um you mentioned that you most of the time you took uh, camping sites for sleeping how did you sleep in general and uh, your experience about it? Yeah, in New Zealand, I pretty much camped the entire time. Um, and then in Korea and Taiwan, I did sort of a mix of camping and like guest houses or hostels. If I was in um, cities in Taiwan, actually one night I was planning on camping and then um, the owner of a guest house nearby kind of came out and was telling me, oh, it's like it's supposed to rain tonight. Like, do you want to just come into the guest house? Like, we'll make you dinner and we'll like take you out to see the fireflies. It's like, OK, sure. Sounds great. Um but yeah, otherwise, yeah, in New Zealand, I mostly, again, tried to stay in campsites. Um, I don't mind wild camping, but it's nice to have a shower and also... Absolutely, yeah. yes. Shower is the best. <laughs> yeah. And also one of the things I learned really quickly in New Zealand is the hospitality industry in particular was hit really hard by COVID. Um, so a lot of these places were, I think, kind of struggling in the wake of COVID to sort of stay afloat and to kind of keep going. So I thought, you know, it's the costs are so low and it's a nice way to meet people and have a shower. I may as well, you know, do like yeah. what I can to kind of support these, yeah, yeah, these yeah, industries yeah. as well. Totally. Um, but yeah, I had a tent with me, had a tent and a sleeping bag. Um, I actually, Oh yeah, I did actually buy a new tent before this. Cause previously when I was touring, I would go with, um, my family had an old, like three man tent and it was like super heavy and probably at the time you know the height of technology but it was like 20 years old or yeah, you know, 10 yeah, or yeah, 20 yeah, yeah. years old so. all changed a lot so yeah i got a new tent um that was you know lightweight easy to carry so i had that with me um and then yeah otherwise would sometimes just stay in hostels guest houses um but so yeah. we had a tent sleeping bag tent sleeping bag sleeping mat um at a I had my mom knit me a pair of socks with um, the big toe separated so that I could put flip-flops yeah. on with my socks. So that was like an essential piece of camping gear. Highly recommend. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 totally. What was the most luxurious thing you had in your bags when you travel? Ooh, maybe it was those socks. Um, <laughs> they were pretty nice. What was the most luxurious thing? I did have, <laughs> I guess this is not surprising, I did have a, a little jar of nice loose leaf tea so that i could have tea in the mornings um that felt like a luxury yeah probably probably tea or my my custom knit socks <laughs> did you have something that you completely didn't use and you wouldn't take next time i actually think i used everything i brought with me kind of makes sense because otherwise you decide to throw it away at some point <laughs> yeah which I'm, I'm surprised about because i feel like it's it's sort of ubiquitous in cycle touring you always end up with something that you just never use um oh i didn't i brought a spare chain and i didn't use that mm -hmm. um so yeah i think maybe maybe one or two things in my repair kit i never used but those are the sorts of things where if you don't bring yeah, them then yeah, yeah exactly you just need it yeah. just to yeah for for peace of yeah. mind or you know the first aid kit like luckily didn't have any major accidents so that mostly stayed untouched so that was yeah. that was good but yeah other than that i think i used everything which um so so you planned korea but you also knew that you don't speak any korean yeah how, how, how did you feel about that um i always feel a bit guilty when i go somewhere and i don't speak the language because I think as a native English speaker, because English is sort of this common second yeah. language, you know, there's, and there's a stereotype of both American and British tourists. So I get to be both of those. 
that you're just monolingual and like, you know, force everyone to speak English. And obviously that's not necessarily the case, but I, I always feel a bit guilty when I do just like when I don't know anything. So I tried to learn a couple of phrases like hello and thank you and like, you know, basic things like that. And I taught myself the alphabet beforehand because the Korean alphabet is um, super logical, actually. Like it's not that hard to learn. I saw it on YouTube. It was like a guy who explained yeah. how, to, how, to, how to read Korean. And yeah. I was like, mind blowing. I actually can read Korean now. <laughs> yeah. And it was, I mean, it was created because they previously used the Chinese characters for okay. writing. And so it was created like historically by um, one of the leaders of Korea who was, who wanted to, um, improve literacy in the country and so created this super logical like really nice phonetic alphabet so yeah as a as a foreigner it's it's not that hard to learn and so I tried to at least learn that so that I could um I don't know you know if it was maybe because looking at a menu or something or yeah something like yeah that, understand what yeah yeah and was it difficult for you in general to to travel in country without knowing language Yes and no. So I've done it before. So I think that helped that it's, you know, again, I've, I've traveled enough before that I've ended up in places where I don't speak the language. And you sort of learn that like with a mix of just having no shame and charades, you can get away with, you know, you can communicate pretty much anything that you need to. Um, but it does make it harder, obviously, like it's hard to have any kind of in-depth conversation, like logistical things you can figure out. And especially now with Google Translate and translation software is so much more advanced. Um, if you need something even a little bit more complicated, you can kind of, you know, type it into a translator and show someone yeah, and hope yeah, for the yeah, best. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I had a couple of conversations that way. But I think the hard part is that it's just harder to engage on like a deeper level with anyone. And so your your kind of conversations are limited to either logistics through google translate and charades or just you know the common language of like smiling and laughing and yeah, just yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. often it helps yeah yeah did you have any internet connection did you buy a sim card local sim card uh i did get a local sim card yeah because i use my phone for navigation so yes. um yeah that was that was kind of an easy option um so yeah i had you know i had internet access was in it most hard places. to get it on in those countries no, it's really easy. You can just buy them at the airport. Okay, that's yeah. cool. That's much easier than Germany, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, the logistics, especially in Korea, I expected the logistics to be a lot more difficult. And it's actually, it's a super easy country to travel around. Yeah. Like, I would definitely yeah. go back. It's it's, And I would recommend it to anyone who kind of, you know, even if you haven't traveled as much in, um, like, outside of, I don't know, like Europe or something, like, it's super accessible. It's really easy to get to. It's easy to, to get around. Um even if you don't speak the language, it's it's just not that difficult. So that part was really nice. It was a good surprise. Um, that sounds really, really cool. Did you have any like desperate moments when you're like, no, I cannot do this anymore. I want to go home. Um, I'm trying to think if I had any really low moments. I was ill for the first couple of days in New Zealand and also cycling into headwinds and also had done no training. And so that combination <laughs> at the very start was like, oh God, was this a terrible idea? Have I just made a massive mistake? Um, and there was one day when I had intended to get to a particular, there was a campsite that I really, really wanted to get to because I'd heard amazing things about it. And I gave up like 30 kilometers away from it and just pulled into like just wild camped in the middle of nowhere. So I was like, I cannot cycle into this headwind anymore. Like I hate this. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, but it turns out that most of the time, and yeah, there was also a day in Taiwan where I, I think I was just, I think I was dehydrated and I had done, I don't know, like 1500 meters climbing. I definitely did not have enough water and it was maybe 38 degrees and like kind of got to the very end of that day as well. Just thinking like, I am just, I'm just done. I can't move anymore. This is terrible. But it turns out in most of those times, like you have a bit of food, you have a bit of water, you have a good night's sleep and it, everything just looks so much better the next day. That Absolutely, it, you know. yeah. And, and if then, you don't race, if you don't rush, you you can always probably yeah, take a pause and uh, yeah. have some rest and everything. Yeah, and you kind of think, you know, even when you're cycling into a terrible headwind or, you know, when it's raining or you're, you're staying the day in a not so nice town because there are thunderstorms. I feel like the next day often, you know, it'll be maybe the most beautiful cycling you've ever come across. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is why I was doing this. This is, mm -hmm. you know, this is what I'm doing it for. So, yeah, ups and downs. But I think I I think I kind of knew that because I had I mean, actually, Iceland was a great place to do a very first cycle tour because you run into like terrible weather, headwinds, like all yes, kinds of things. Yes, yes, you can just challenge But yourself. it all changes really quickly. And so I think I had that in the back of my mind of just knowing like, okay, this is really terrible, but I think probably I just need some food and some sleep and then it'll be fine. <laughs> like it will get better. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's always worth it. Everything too. 
yeah it's really good to have some experience in cycling if you want to do something more challenging just understand that yeah. you need to get some food you need to get some rest uh don't push too hard if you don't feel if you feel low yeah and everything's gonna be fine usually it's fine and uh even if you feel hard at the beginning, like it's difficult for you're getting adjusted to it. I yeah, would expect. Yeah. That. Did you did you feel like it's way too hard for you for at the beginning? I don't think so. Um, I think, I mean, I could definitely tell. Like, okay, I need to take it a little bit easier at the start, and then it'll be okay. But I think I've, I think a lot of it is knowing sort of yourself and knowing your own limits mm-hmm. and knowing when you're approaching. In my head, I think of it as like soft, like sort of a, a flexible limit. Like, oh, okay, this is hard, but you know it will get easier and I just need to build up, you know, fitness or I just need to maybe like take a day off or, or whatever it may be versus like kind of knowing when you're approaching something, which is like, I need to stop right now and sort of knowing the difference between those. Cause I think a lot of the times it's just, you know, temporary discomfort as opposed to like something horrible. And I think a lot of being able to just do quote unquote adventurous things is kind of just knowing how to recognize the difference between those and knowing when to just push through something because okay this pass is really hard and it's really steep and there's a wind yeah, and it's like yeah, really yeah, difficult yeah. <laughs> but when i get to the top it's going to be an incredible view and then i'm going to get a really nice descent yeah, and it's going to feel exactly, really good yeah right yeah. yeah so when you finish taiwan why, why didn't you continue traveling i i was so tempted i really genuinely there was a I like kind of seriously considered trying to get a Chinese visa and just cycling home that way. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell my parents. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I did think about it. But um, A, it's really hard to get a Chinese visa outside of your home country. So that was that was kind of a logistical blocker. And B, um, I had sort of had in my mind that, you know, six months was kind of the amount of time I was kind of comfortable taking off. And then I needed to probably like get back to the real world. Maybe I could have made it work. Um, and I, I honestly think like if China hadn't been, it had basically just reopened for tourism. And so, yeah, getting a tourist visa was almost impossible. And then a lot of the land borders in Central Asia mm-hmm. are kind of a mess. Because when I had set out, when I had originally planned this trip, one of the alternate, one of the things I was considering was doing um, the sort of Trans-Eurasia, like London to, you know, either Japan, Hong Kong, yeah, Singapore, yeah. something like that. Um, and I had seriously considered it, but I was looking at, you know, with COVID still, like some borders still closed for COVID, like China was still completely closed at the time when I set yeah, off. Yeah, makes sense. And then Central Asia, a lot of the borders were closed. Yeah. And then obviously with um, the situation in Russia, the, you know, there just wasn't a way to do it. And so some of it had reopened by the time I finished in Taiwan, but enough of it was still closed that I think, I actually think the logistics are sort of what prevented me from doing it. And it's probably a good thing because I think, you know, I might have been able to make it work, but I think it would have been a bit more stressful, like, um, in terms of time and budget and just, um, yeah. you know, planning. So probably yeah. it wouldn't have been a good idea. So, you know, um, I think I made the right choice. But yeah, it was really tempting, actually, to just keep going. But um, Yeah, I, I can imagine because you're getting hooked to it, you're getting adjusted, you you already understand, like, your pace and that you can yeah. continue and it's so inspiring. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, wasn't wasn't totally ready to go home, but um, I think... The nice thing was I had given myself a bit of time when I got home as well that I knew I could sort of take a couple of weeks to just um, rest, do my laundry, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of get back into the rhythm of, of life, life um, yeah. before I had to find a job and start, uh, you know, being a real human again. <laughs> uh, would you say, speaking about budget, would you say it was expensive? No, I think the flights were probably the most expensive. And actually, even then, I had a lot of like airline points saved up. So the flights were almost free. Um, Yeah, I think really the expenses were just, uh, I got a new bicycle and a new tent. But beyond that, um, it's, New Zealand's a little more expensive, like relative to the other two, but relative to the UK, it's not at all. Mm-hmm. And um, Korea and Taiwan are both very inexpensive to travel, especially if, like me, you're either camping or staying in really cheap accommodation, um, eating local food. Like uh, in Taiwan, I ate at a ton of street markets and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, if you if you travel pretty simply and you're traveling on a bicycle, so your transportation is taken care of. Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't an expensive holiday at all. So, totally understand. Yeah. 
So now you're, now you're back home. Yep. Well, now I'm in Berlin, but <laughs> like in I general, will soon be yeah, back yeah, home. You, you, still, you still continue traveling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you got a new job. Yeah. Yeah. And, that I'm uh, super excited about, actually. So that's cool. good. Yeah. And uh, do you do you plan to do any any travels like this in the future? Uh, definitely. Yeah. I think, I mean, cycle traveling, I think I will definitely keep doing. There are a couple of other places that I really want to go, maybe for shorter trips that I can do like during, you know, normal holiday from a normal job. Um, so yeah, I'll probably try and um, cycle maybe a bit more around Europe because I haven't, I've cycled a little bit in Europe, um, but not as much. So might try and do some of that. Mm -hmm. Maybe take some holiday to go. Um, yeah, there are a couple of other places I wanted to go cycling and then At some point in the more distant future, I would still love to do that kind of um, across Europe and Asia, like through, you know, across Europe, the old Silk Road route through like Tajikistan, oh, Uzbekistan, really Kyrgyzstan. Oh yeah. yeah. But um, I think that's, you know, a few years off probably because yeah, I don't know when Now I'll have you time. had enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. If you could give only one advice for long distance cyclists, what would it be? It sounds, well, okay, I was about to say just do it, but I think actually the piece of advice I would give is to figure out the difference between inspiration and admiration. And what I mean by that is sometimes you hear these stories of people who do amazing, let's say cycling, like you hear someone who does an amazing cycling trip and you think, that's so cool, I wish I could do that, like, that's awesome. And I think there's kind of two versions of that. And one is the admiration, which is that's so cool. But then when you think about doing it yourself, you're like, I just don't know if I want to do it. Yeah. But then you feel like maybe you should because it's impressive or like to have the bragging rights or something like that versus inspiration, which is you hear a really cool story of someone, you know, cycling going, oh, that sounds cool. And I like, I want to do that right now. Like I need to get out the door and I need to just do it immediately. And so I think it's like, I would say for, you know, long distance cycling, if it's something you're interested in, absolutely just do it. Like you know, book the flight, get on the bicycle, just go. But also in terms of thinking about whether you like, whether you actually do want to do it, first of all, and then, you know, there are all kinds of ways you can do it. You can do ultra racing, you can do super long distance, you can do kind of short week long or weekend trips. Um, and so, you know, think about like, which of those is actually kind of inspiring as opposed to just, oh, I really admire that person doing that. Like, think about which stories are you know, you can imagine yourself doing and imagining it feels like a lot of fun rather than like a lot of torture. Um, This and, absolutely yeah, makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. This is really, really, really good advice, to be honest. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to thank you for sharing this invaluable experience today. And I think it will inspire actually a lot of people to go on an adventure and chase their dreams. Yeah, it's been super fun. Thanks for having me. This was great. I hope you have a great time in Berlin next week. And I see you later. Bye.